To prevent the spread of germs during the COVID-19 pandemic, you should wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds or use a hand sanitizer with at least 60% alcohol. Do not drink the hand sanitizer. Uh, it's been so great to have some rain, and isn't it? Hasn't it been? And then to have these like fresh blue skies. Yeah, that is nice. And now to have all of you here. Yeah. At House of Mercy. Rain, fresh blue skies, everybody here. Makes me really Top happy, three. all yeah. these things. So uh, yeah. Thank you so much for coming. You know, Susie couldn't be here to, pro to print the program today, but, you know, if you ever get confused about where we are in the service, it is printed in the hymnal right here. Yeah. On one of the first few pages. So Absolutely. Follow along there if you want to know what's coming next. Speaking of fresh blue skies... So good to have uh, you all here today. I mean, this is this is a power trio right here. This is a power trio. Yeah, so great to have you. Yeah, absolutely delighted to have Angie singing. Well, to be back for one, but yeah. have Angie singing with us today. Thank you, Angie, and Henry playing octave mandolin and banjo. And nice, so good. So good. And uh, many thanks to John Reichel and company for filling in for a few weeks, as well as Luke great. Jacobs and. Um, Jeff Zupfer, so yeah, yeah, I'm good. so thankful they were able to, to fill in while we were out of town. All right, well, it's good to have you back, Thank Eric. You. Very good. Thank you. I think you're going to talk about the big wide open. Well, first I want to talk about this. Um, okay. So there's, uh, the, there's no Wi-Fi here, so I mean, I know a lot of you like to um, tweet about the sermon and stuff. Not going to be able to this week. But I said that only because, like, the printer here is hooked to the Wi-Fi, so when I went to print my sermon, it doesn't print out. Um, it can't. So I'm going to, like, have my laptop and bring it up there. I'm going to set it up, and it's going to hit the microphone. I just want you to know there's going to be some awkward business, and I don't want to say this now because I don't want to interrupt with the preaching moment. So just maybe you could avert your eyes at first, and then we'll go. All right. Okay, have you all heard about this, the big wide open? It was like, uh, what is the, the 12th or something of September, we're all going to come back and it's going to be the full service, full on, special music, everything like that. We're not doing that. I mean, uh, we thought just because of, um, you know, just the way things are, that we uh, would do best to combine our Feast of Jonah, which is two weeks later, and have that be super big, super open, and uh, I'll do the big uh, specialness then. So that is the 20... You're the one making the announcement. Oh, oh right. <laughs> it's the last week of September, 29th, something like that, 26th, 26th, yeah, of uh, September. And tell all your friends, it's going to be great. Um, hey, I don't know if you, you may have or may not have heard that Susie Abramson, who's been our wonderful youngster coordinator for years now, is a passing youngster coordinator, Nancy Epps. Um, we're going to celebrate Susie on Youngster Sunday. There will be presents. We're going to celebrate our youngsters. There will be presents for them. Classes will start then, and you'll get to know Nancy a little bit more then. But for now, I just want to introduce Nancy and Helena. Come on up here. 
Um, just so pleased and excited that, that Nancy's interested in this and she has a lot of great ideas. Her background is in city planning and camp counseling. Um, Helena is three and now Nancy you're going to make an announcement, right? Yes, uh, kind of an interesting transition into this new role so thank you for the mercy and grace that you've extended so far. And thank you in advance for everyone who's going to agree to be teachers and classroom assistants for the Youngster Program when I get around to emailing you. <laughs> the email address hasn't changed. If you've been in touch with Susie at youngsters at houseofmercy.org, you can now contact me that way. But um, I might need to ask people your names. It's been, uh, Feels like years since we've regularly attended uh, when my husband was sick and then pandemic. And I know there's other people listening to the podcast, but it's kind of nice to see faces again. So I'll work on putting some names to those and uh, looking forward to the start of a Sunday school year, yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and Helena would love to, if anyone wants to come and dance with her back there. <laughs> I'm not always, I, I'm a little too Lutheran to be dancing during the service, but she hasn't gotten that far yet. Well, this is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. God of mercy, whatever defense or judgment or pretense we use to survive in the world, help us come in here and not use it. Help us loosen our grasp and put down our arms and know that we are loved and capable of love and make that our sustenance, our worship. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. Let's pass a sign of peace in a comfortable, safe manner. <laughs>
invite you to join me now in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer or petition with God and your mercy, and I invite you to respond, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray that the leaders of nations and the opposition to nations will stop believing in violence and the proliferation of weapons and threatening posturing, intimidation, and terrorism as good strategy that they and we might perhaps consider a wholly different possibility, a way to act among each other, civility, generosity, diplomacy, a way of behaving that might bring the world nearer to peace and farther away from violence. We pray for some sort of transformation among people, however much or little power they have, that we might begin to desire a different sort of path fervently. We pray for transformation in our leaders and military, in the Taliban, ISIS, Mexican cartels, law enforcement, the world over, our own hearts. A lot of transformation needs to happen for peace. We pray for all of it. God, in your mercy. We pray especially for those today who are so immediately in the path of, destruction, of destructive forces the people of Afghanistan, those who are bracing for a hurricane. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, help us and the many who mean to follow you or hope or claim to. Help us glimpse the enormity of your mercy so that we won't perpetuate intolerance in your name or behave in unloving and destructive ways. Help us not to look intently for what everyone else is doing wrong. Reveal our insides to us, what comes from within, so that we may not judge or hurt others. We pray that Christians might be known not for our folly, deceit, and pride, but for love. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, whatever we're doing with our lives, however we spend our days and hours and moments, may they not fly by without us ever having been there, awake, grounded, grounded somehow in the present, in our bodies, not grasping for the next thing, not perpetually dissatisfied, not lost and dissipated somewhere in cyberspace or the capitalist mire. Help us be awake. God, in your mercy. God, in mercy, we pray that power and money will not prevail. God, in your mercy. God, in mercy, we pray for healing or some moments of peace, even as we suffer from the many ways we are broken in body and mind and spirit. Help us glimpse infinite love and believe somehow all will be well, finally, in your embrace. Hear us now as we pray for those who are suffering, as we confess our sins and longing, our gratitude and frustrations, as we pause now for extended silence.
Your mercy leads us and follows us. Help us know it. Amen. House of Mercy is on native land. We gather in the Midway in St. Paul. We are located near Waka Pathaka, Pathanka, which is the Mississippi River, not far from Bedote, the place where the Mississippi and Minnesota rivers meet. Bedote is, a, is central to the Dakota creation stories. There are many sacred Dakota sites near us in St. Paul. We occupy the homeland of the Dakota people. The Dakota have lived here for thousands of years. This land was stolen through the Treaty of Travers de Sioux and the violent genocide waged by the mass murderers Alexander Ramsey, Henry Sibley, and the Minnesota and United States governments. With the Dakota, the Anishinaabe people reside here, as well as indigenous peoples from other native lands, nations. May this land acknowledgement be for us a confession of our complicity and an instigation to act for restoration and justice. We are people of the book. Christians, along with Jewish and Muslim faiths, are religion centered on our holy books. I've said this before. And the House of Mercy is even more so than, than a lot of church communities. We are particularly centered on our biblical texts. Our theology is biblical theology. We practice a theology of radical mercy, but that's because that's what we find as the deep current that runs through our holy book. I mean, I think. But I'm pretty sure it's not because that's what we're looking for when we read the biblical text and we seem willing to twist and turn any obtuse or god-awful piece of scripture until we can wring the radical mercy out of it. I don't think that's it. We do, though. We question the text. We do. We question the text, and sometimes we question it quite rigorously. But we do it with the blessed assurance of the ancient rabbis and postmodern critical saints that the mercy is in there, even when it's articulated with its absence. Sometimes we're given a text in the weekly lectionary cycle that after it is read and the liturgist proclaims the word of the Lord, I can see you cringe as you respond Thanks be to God. But I think that serves as sort of a, a communal beginning to question the text. Or if it's not a horrifically violent, power judgment, or casually misogynist scripture text, oftentimes it just seems kind of like hard to find any relevance in it. Today's text is none of those. It's actually, actually, it's a little bit too on the nose. It's about hand washing. I mean, come on. It's about the importance of washing your hands before you eat. Hand washing. Are we not all expert hand washers? I mean, we can happy birthday like there's no tomorrow. 
Well, I guess it's kind of motivated by the whole no tomorrow thing, but um, yeah, we get the front, we get the back, the fingernails, a little bit up the arms. We know all about hand washing. Now, the text says, now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around, they noticed that some of the disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders and the CDC and the WHO, I'm sure. And they do not eat anything from the market unless it's washed. I mean, of course. And the market that they're talking about, I think, is probably closer to the Wuhan wet than the Whole Foods. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. The Pharisees are the bad guys. We don't agree with the bad guys. We agree with Jesus and the cool rebel good folk, his disciples, who are apparently not washing their hands before they eat. What about after they go to the bathroom? Does it say they're wearing masks even anywhere? Are they vaccinated? I think Jesus would take care of that, wouldn't you think? Listen, don't worry, okay? You're not on the side of the bad guys. They're talking about a whole different kind of unclean hands here, a different kind of hand washing. You're not like the Pharisees. No, you're not on the bad guys' sides. We're not. We all know that in the first century Palestine, they really didn't have any understanding of bacteria, bacteria or viruses. But they knew about dirt and other funky stuff that might be on your hands or your outdoor food market foods, which, you know, you don't want to put any of that stuff in your mouth, virus or not. But that is not the kind of hand washing they're talking about. When they say defiled hands, when they say unclean hands, they mean ritually impure. They mean nasty hands. They mean bad hands, disrespectful and unrighteous, sinful, unclean hands, jazz hands. No, jazz hands are not ritually unclean. Jazz hands are righteous. According to the Pharisaic law, if you eat with unclean hands, you become unclean. The Pharisees and the scribes practice a religious culture based on righteousness and purity. And that righteousness and purity were attained by adherence to the law. And not just the 10 to 12 commandments that we're used to, but all 613 that can be found in the Torah. The text goes on in this parenthetical statement to say that the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they are thoroughly, unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. When Mark writes parenthetically that the Pharisees and the religious leaders thoroughly wash their hands in observance to the tradition of the elders, his implication is that the ritual hand washing was not a law of Moses or a commandment of God, but part of the elaborate purity culture the religious leaders in power put in place. Mark continues his aside to the reader, saying, and they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. Now the mention of bronze kettles really begins to clarify the point. 
I mean, it clarifies the point if you're a first century Palestinian reader of the text. But if you're not, let me clarify it. Bronze kettles are used in the temple as part of the purifying ritual washing. Fun fact, the Greek word for the ritual purity washing is baptizo or baptism. Wait a minute, maybe we are on the side of the bad guys. No, just having a little fun, a little biblical language fun. We aren't the bad guys. Christian baptism is different. Christian baptism, while based on the purity ritual washing, is a reinterpretation of the practice, which emphasizes the redemption, reconciliation, real righteousness that comes from not being pure or any act that we can do, but from the radical mercy of Jesus proclaimed in his death and resurrection, to which this reinterpreted ritual enacts. The Pharisee had placed so many requirements on the people that it was an overwhelming burden. The religious leaders controlled the people's ability to receive atonement and practice their faith. It was practically impossible to meet all these requirements without spending a lot of money and time traveling to the temple. Jesus' response to the religious leaders who, have, who held the position of power and imposed their idolatrous purity regulations on the people was clear. His answer to them was a quote from the great prophet Isaiah. He says, these honor me with their lips alone while their hearts are far from me. Uselessly do they worship me, teaching human injunctions as their teaching. Then Jesus says directly to the religious leaders, you have thrown away God's command, and you hold on to what humans have dictated. The mercy of God has nothing to do with adherence to your man-made requirements of perfection and purity. The mercy of God pours out from God's love for God's children, the Creator's love for their Creator, creation. In the previous chapters of Mark's Gospel, he's been, Jesus has been living this out in the midst of great crowds of people. He's been getting super unclean, super defiled. He's been going back and forth between the pagan crowds and the Jewish crowds, cross-contaminating everyone. Jesus has been getting his hands defiled all over the place. He's been touching all kinds of impure and unclean people, dead people, sick people, even women. And he's healing the crowds. He's telling them that God is not locked away in the temple with a powerful few controlling access to his mercy, but that God is among them living and calling them to live fully, really alive lives, living together with the Creator, living in and through God's love and mercy. Then Jesus calls the crowd back to him. He calls, he brings the people back together, and he tells them, listen, I want to make this really clear, and I want you to understand what these leaders are saying is not true. Nothing that you eat or how you eat it makes you unclean. Nothing you take in defiles you. It's only what comes out of you that can defile, like the crap coming out of these guys. The gospel story continues this conflict with the powerful, 
not only the religious leaders, but with the most powerful dominating force in their world, the Roman Empire. The Jesus story tells us that the powerful have destroyed the temple with their corruption, greed, and idolatry. And by the time Mark is writing this gospel, the Roman Empire has literally destroyed the temple, pulling it down until not one stone is left on another. And Jesus is telling all those without power that there is another way. Jesus is telling all those crowds that those people in power cannot bring them life and reconciliation. This whole gospel, this whole holy book, is the story of God redeeming the powerless, the poor, the marginalized, the dirty, the unclean, the defiled people. This is their book. I'm continually perplexed at how this holy book of the powerless, the religion of the book, it comes to be claimed by the very power that was its oppressor. I'm perplexed now all the time at how those in power now can claim this faith, this faith of the powerless, this faith of the oppressed as their own and how they interpret it in ways to use it to justify their greed and oppression and idolatry. If we claim this Holy Scripture as our own, we cannot wholly take it for ourselves and possess it. We cannot twist it to our own devices to justify the work of our defiled hands. We can receive it in the spirit it was given. We can confess our complicity in the ways that it has been distorted and used to justify our privilege. Okay, I lied to you. We are on the side of the bad guys. We cannot help it. We are inheritors of this culture of privilege, addicted to this culture of power. Many of us were raised with the idolatrous interpretations of this holy book of the powerless. We're on the side of power and privilege, but we do not have to stay there. We can engage this holy book and this humble faith confessionally, honestly, and gratefully. The House of Mercy and the American Christian faith is built on the holy scripture of a marginalized and oppressed people. Our New Testament is from the Jewish sect that gathered around the teachings of the itinerant rabbi Jesus, whom they believe to be the promised Hebrew Messiah. Our Old Testament is the sacred laws, prophetic writings, poetry, and history of the tribes of Israel. May this holy text acknowledgement serve as our confession of complicity and an instigation to act for restoration and justice with God's help. This is God's table and all are welcome. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it. 
and broke it and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this and remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. I'm gonna leave down listening to the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs>